Hello and welcome to the New School HR. This is Season 2, Episode 03, titled Pregnancy. Now, let's put the disclaimer out there right now. Not something I've had too much to deal with, actually. But I thought I'd actually try and go outside the comfort zone and touch on something that I didn't know too lot, well, too much about. Um, the other reason being is that given the situation the world is in as we look at January 2021, there is a hell of a lot of hashtag lockdown babies. So let's see how it goes. So the first thing to kind of touch on is the sort of things to, I guess, be supportive about during the pregnancy. So, you know, the first thing that I would say is, I mean, obviously I've I've come across pregnancies throughout my career, but for some reason or other, I've never really directly been involved in it, um, just the way it is. So in terms of processing from a system point of view and all that, I've just never done it. So the first thing I notice is that from my time as a, well, to be honest, most of my experience with pregnancy is from my time as a manager. Um, so, you know, the first thing I kind of noticed was you didn't get any sort of notification from someone until sort of week 20, which ties in with when a MAT B1 form is issued, which is basically to say that this person is pregnant and due to have a baby. Um, I mean, I've had, I've had people tell me sort of at week 12 when they've had their 12-week scan. But the reality is until you get a MAP-B1 form, um, most people might choose not to tell you. I think one of the things I can do quite well is spot when someone is pregnant or um, have an idea that they might be. So without sort of being too descriptive, there are certain signs that you can definitely tell. One of the ones I kind of see more often, though, is the absence rate. Um, if you see random absences and then potentially you see a uniform order for a bigger size, that generally tells you what you're expecting to come in a couple of weeks' time. I think the other thing is if you do spot signs of it, try to be supportive. Um, well, look, you should be supportive of your team anyway, right? If you've got employees um, who are potentially not well or whatever. So I'm not just saying because they're pregnant you should support, but it's quite a sensitive subject for people. Um, they're not always going to be so forthcoming with it. So if you do notice it or you see signs that potentially is there, because I think the other thing is there is a possibility at times that you know that someone's pregnant even though they don't know. Um, so just bear that in mind. If you know that somebody is working in an area that's quite strenuous, whether that's physical, whether that's mental um, exertion as well. So, you know, not being biased and saying it's about lifting stuff. Um, there are some females who will continue working through and doing some of the most laborious jobs out there. But I think it's always worth trying to keep a track on the almost comfort level of the individual. So if you see that things are taking a bit longer than usual, you know, you can always ask the question, um, I have seen it where, like I said a, a bit earlier, that people don't know they're pregnant and you have a suspicion. So, you know, if you if you notice something, as a duty of care anyway, you should be asking them to potentially seek medical advice. Um, I would do that anyway with anyone if there was any sort of symptoms of illness or something out of the ordinary. But always do make sure you take that time. 
The other thing is each pregnancy is different. So when you do know that someone's pregnant, don't compare it to your partner or um, somebody you know, your, you know, or yourself even if you're a female, because each pregnancy is different. Um, and even if the same person is pregnant twice whilst you're the manager, again, each pregnancy is different. So where I see managers try and, you know, say, well, you know, this and that, that's not the case. Um, each one is different. I think you can always offer support. And that's how I get around um, anything that I think is a bit of an issue, is offering support and just clearly outlining sort of the boundaries, if you like. Um, there are going to be some pregnancies which have, you know, complications or require extra appointments and stuff like that so being a prick about it isn't really going to achieve anything so I always try and explain to my managers that obviously we can ask for appointment slips and stuff if if it's becoming um, frequent if sickness or something like that is becoming high if you like then the advice from a medical professional can be sought. it's not like we can't do anything but it's just about working with someone to understand it The other thing I think people forget is is that pregnancy involves two people. And if you have a male member of staff with a female who is pregnant, partner, whatever, um, they can be going through a hard time too, you know. Now, I'm not saying I myself have been through a hard time with pregnancy, but I have seen people who, you know, have had to leave work multiple times um, in a short period of time because their partner's not too well, or maybe they're the carer, or, you know, there's no one else around. Um, if if that person has two kids, like, well, one already, it might be that they're trying to take care of one child because the pregnancy is difficult. So try and understand it. You know, I, I don't appreciate this approach that, you know, the pregnancy is just on a male, uh, sorry, on a female, and that the male is just kind of like, well, you know, it's not them that's pregnant. You don't know what's going on in a household. You don't know what the difficulties are. So just check in with the mail. As mentioned, the MAPB1 is usually issued at the week 20 scan. This will usually have the date that the baby is due. So at this point, when you have it, you should be thinking about potentially replacing that person uh, for mat leave, whether that's um, using someone internal, so you could look at a secondment, um, whether that's getting a fixed term person in or it might even just be that you've got no actual real requirement for it and actually you can divide the work amongst the team that you have um, sometimes using a maternity to your advantage could be something like saving the cost of losing someone for a year and using that um, time to potentially improve performance and actually keep your team um, I've never been in that position, but I have heard of situations where actually the mat leave has allowed for that team to not lose someone and then actually things have picked up over the course of a while that person's on maternity and they've come back and there's no issues. Um, the other thing to think about is it is, you know, touching on the secondment piece, um, it is an opportunity for someone to step up as well potentially um, if it's a senior role like a team leader or a manager. So I would always explore that option as well. I think it's easier to replace and backfill a, you know, 
shop floor role, if you like, non-senior role, and get that in for a fixed term, as opposed to getting a senior person into the business and then they become really successful and then you're left with a position of having to let them go. Um, I've seen that many times. So I always prefer if we can give the opportunity to someone in-house and then, you know, there are some departments out there where you just have high maternity rates. Like It's always guaranteed that someone's going to be on maternity. Um, I've I've seen it recently where I've I've had... In a senior team, I think there's about three or four maternities. Maybe three, actually. Four's an exaggeration. No, it is four. And actually, people have actually kept on seconding, and they've stayed a senior in a senior position for about two or three years now because there's just always maternity opportunities. Um, obviously, that's going to run out at some point, and we'll have to explore what we do with that person because we'll have a highly skilled person. But, yeah, there is opportunities for you to um, upskill your workforce. And then the other thing to think about is the impact that it's going to have on the team, Um, whether that's during the pregnancy, whether that's while they're on maternity leave. So, of course, when you know that the person's going to go on maternity, you know, the dates, you're going to have to be thinking about what's going to happen to their workload, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's also worth knowing the impact that it will have during the pregnancy. So um, for me, look, I, rightly or wrongly, I always expect... um, the individual to have some sort of drop off, if you like, in terms of the work um, completion or whatever it might be. You know, for me, I'm, I'm not expecting or anticipating them to be at 100. percent If they are, that is amazing, and you know, that's why I always come from a place of support. So it means that I've actually considered how we're going to approach this, um, and I thought about what opportunities or what activities can be divvied up from now because the other piece is if you know someone's going to go on maternity in two months waiting until the week beforehand to assign their duties to someone else is absolutely ridiculous so i do use it as also as an opportunity to get the individual who might be replacing them or people who are taking their duties to actually um cons- you know be shadowed by that person so they can actually learn how that person does the job I realized we didn't do the check-in of what the podcast is sponsored by. So this is actually being recorded for the third day in a row, which is, I think this is the first time I've recorded three different podcasts, three days in a row. Um, So today is Nespresso decaf because it is 8.30 at night and I don't want to be jumping off the walls. But I am a bit tired and I don't know. This is the first time I've had decaf, so what I'm hoping is, is that this kind of emulates that sensation. But who knows, we'll find out. Okay, so time off. The first thing to say is refer to the policy. Um, The places I've worked, pregnancy-related sickness is counted as sickness and the sickness pay is taken from the entitlement. Um, But then after that, obviously, it's no longer paid. But it's worth referring to your policy to understand what it does actually refer um, pregnancy-related illnesses are never taken down a formal disciplinary route. But then you do have that issue, what if someone's taking a piss? Um, and that's where I always then ask for a bit more further detail. We, of course, are within our right. We can't necessarily stop them from using it, but um, you, you can ask for advice. 
always do the return to work. I, you know, if you've listened to episode two around absences, return to work should be done. Um, some places they would offer the opportunity for the person to make up their hours if they're not being paid. Um, so, you know, that's something you could explore, but I don't know how feasible that would be. Um, I would always think about, is there something we can do to minimize the absence? So for example, if we can change the shift work patterns or, um, the area of work, and that's only if, so I'm not saying we start moving people around, uh, because that's not fair on individuals, but if there is an opportunity, then obviously let's use it. Let's make things a bit easier for someone. Um, appointments. So of course they're allowed time off for appointments to attend, um, but I would always say, does it need to be a full day? So for me, um, if we're in an environment where, you know, we can allow them to come back on site and complete the rest of their shift or even make up their hours, then again, that's something um, I would always explore. And I think most of the time what I've come across, there's never been a problem with that. Um, but again, you know, some policies are different. Some policies will say it's all just paid. Um, the retail company I worked for, it was always just paid. You didn't have to do much. You just literally um, gave proof of appointment letters and that was it. I think the other thing is to think about the partner as well. So the non-pregnant person in this instance. Um, understand their rights. So again, first company, they got all appointments off. Second company, um, they was allowed to take it off as unpaid. And then the current company is you can have one paid and an arrest um, authorized unpaid so there are variances there and again it's worth referring to your to your policies and again even if it's the partner I would still ask for some sort of evidence to support that um, because especially if you've got somebody whose partner is in a situation where they need more appointments but be mindful of that so don't give the partner a hard time just because there's more appointments um I remember one time when I was in the retail place, actually, to be honest, when my son was uh, in the in the womb, or whatever the correct term is, um, I was actually a trainee manager. And one thing that I always remember is I asked to go, I mean, it's bad, isn't it? I asked to go, even though their policy was I can go to all of them and get paid anyway. But because I was in a senior role, I just wanted to make it aware and had all my appointments in advance, all of them, like literally months in advance. And I asked... It sounds bad, I asked. I Well, I did ask. I asked if I can go to the second scan. And what I got told back by my senior manager was, why the fuck do you need to go to that? You went to the first one. That That's real, you know. That's what I was told. Albeit it was 2014, but that's not that long ago, you know. Anyway, he's a fucking prick. But yeah, look, there's no need for that kind of stuff. That doesn't buy... Um, engagement points if you like um, that's why probably I left subsequently after that but there you go I actually did pause but one thing I do want to say actually is um, be mindful that we are in a world of COVID-19 and appointments can be completed remotely um, and the other thing is is um, if there are sort of hospital appointments these can take longer than the standard so if you're referring to a pregnancy that you did in 2015, in 2021, then that's nonsense. So just be mindful of that as well. I think sometimes when it comes to pregnancy, people just get a bit carried away.
Okay, so the next thing to think about is the risk assessments. So we need to ensure that these are completed as early as possible. So obviously if you don't know, then you can't really complete one. But as soon as you know, I would say book that shit in. Um, most places I've worked with, they have been completed by a health and safety um, professional, if you like. So actually, no, I think I did one. I have done one before many, many years ago. Um, it's important to do and it's important to get that feedback because as I say each pregnancy is different and actually each trimester is different so those might change so I, I made a habit I think of maybe doing risk assessments every sort of month or maybe every bi-month I can't remember but I did used to keep doing them just in case situations changed and it just shows to the employee that you're being flexible about the whole thing um, situation changes, you know, I've seen different size stomachs, I don't know what the correct term is, you know, but I've seen different size ones and, you know, there are some where you can just see it's not even practical for the person to, I'm, I'm not even allowed to laugh, am I? But it's not even practical for the person to do the activity they did. So for example, in the retail environment, I've seen, um, laborious works involving lifting, crates of shopping or fruit or whatever it might be and the reality is the individual who is pregnant can't even um, get their arms to the thing so leaving them there from like month six to month eight or whenever they go on maternity is absolutely fucking stupid let's keep it real likewise you can get some office roles where sitting down for prolonged periods of time is not good for the individual so you want to ensure that the risk assessment covers the fact that they maybe need to take a five-minute walk every now and then. Um, so it's not just about physicality. It's also about actually uh, making sure that necessary breaks are there, the blood circulation, um, you know, comfort. I mean, I, I sound like I'm being um, a pushover, but it's not. The reality is that you want to support this person during their time of pregnancy. I think the other thing is to understand what is being said, yeah? So I think, especially for us males who maybe have been managers or in HR, we've not been pregnant, so we don't really know what they go through. Um, and I always make a point to ask as many questions as I can, so I do understand. I'm pretty sure some people have wanted to slap me for the amount of questions I ask, but the, the real reason behind it is to actually make sure that the support and everything that's given is correct. Obviously, we're in a situation where homeworking is um, a real thing now. And how do you do a risk assessment at home? Uh-huh. How do you know the chair is appropriate? So a lot of companies, I think, now are starting to offer equipment anyway. So you might get around that by being able to do that. But what we have to be mindful of is not everyone lives in a house with a kitchen or a home office that can sit an IT type chair from an office. So that's where things like the breaks and stuff like that come into it because you have to remember in the workplace you have the environment there and you can actually manage the environment whereas at home you can't necessarily. I mean even if you want to offer to pay for a chair um, for them you can't guarantee that that individual will have the actual house space for it. I mean recently non-related to pregnancy but we've sent individuals to work from home and we've had feedback that you know there are people who live in one bed accommodation in a house share and actually 
you know, having a desktop computer, they can't set it up. So the same thing can apply for maternity. You can have all the best will in the world, but it might not actually be practical. The other thing is, if they're working from home, make sure they are actually keeping to their contract. Because I think the home working thing, right? I mean, I'd be replying to emails even at 10 o'clock at night and stuff sometimes, um, logging in at 6 a.m. or whatever. And I'm pretty sure there are pregnant people that are doing that also, if not doing more than that. Um, so I think we need to be mindful of that, that, you know, they have their core hours and that they are sticking to it, making sure that they're taking breaks, you know. Simple things like dropping a message and just say, have you had your break yet? What time are you going for break? Just to trigger that conversation for process. Um, but if you don't, then that's a bit of a lack of duty of care for me. So in back into the workplace, I think the things to look at is, you know, the local work area. Um, so what kind of equipment is used to do the role? And is there any changes to that equipment that can be done? That could be desks, that could be handheld devices. It can be all kinds of things. We're just making sure we know that. The temperature of the area. So is it in a warm area? Um, a cold area and will that have an impact due to the change in hormones yes I understand what that means um, you know I have sat there with um, female members of my team just literally sweating it out um, and you know we've got the aircon on and everything um, access to break areas you know is it easy for them to you know stop and take a five minute break um Again, that is quite important too, to make sure that we're able to facilitate them to do that. And then the other one is toilets. Um, not being crude or anything, but, you know, if you've got a seven-month baby kicking down on your bladder, you might not be able to make it to a toilet that is like a seven-minute walk away. So think about these kind of things. It's about making life easy. The other thing is assessing the activity that they actually do. Uh, I kind of covered in this in the first bit, actually, so I won't cover that again. But, um, yeah, just making sure that you actually note down what it is they do and actually assessing what risk there might be. The last thing you want is to have somebody have a serious incident because you've left them pushing crates of, like, 17 packs of five kilo potatoes that's just stupid but it does happen this is my point it does happen not necessarily the incident bit but um the ones who you know are left to it and then the other thing is to think about the change of hours whether that's a change in the shift patterns whether that's a reduction potentially um some people will openly come and tell you what they think they need to do in terms of their hours or location um, you can always see if that is feasible but explore that i mean i have seen it where individuals have changed their shift patterns completely but i think the thing that goes amiss is that you need to make sure it's categorically clear that these are only in place just for the pregnancy so this isn't a flexible working this isn't a um, permanent change this is just literally to support you and i would ensure that that is followed up by some sort of written letter so that when that person comes back from maternity they clearly understand the expectation is that they return to their pre-changed agreement if you like now i know there's going to be some feedback about well if they've done it for 12 weeks 
That's why we do it in writing, and that's why I would get them to sign to say that they understand it. Okay? So, uh, I'm going to cover this bit now. Redundancy and pregnancy stroke maternity. Um, not sounding too happy about that. I didn't mean to come across like that. But this is quite a, well, this is a new one to me. So I don't know too much about it, but I do have some information based on a case recently. So, whilst an individual is pregnant, there is no automatic protected rights. So, contrary to belief and the bill of 2019 that hasn't actually been passed yet, which is asking for an extension of protection from maternity into pregnancy, that isn't there. So I just need to make that bit clear. So in terms of an actual redundancy situation the only time there would be an entitlement to pay maternity pay would be if that person is at week minus 15 in terms of the due date at which point statutory maternity would be required to be paid now this can be paid in full um, as in you do the figure of what that maternity pay would look like or it could be paid monthly i mean I've never got to that scenario, so I don't know what sort of people's desired outcome would be. My assumption would be you'd want to do it all in one lump because if they're on the payroll for a monthly thing, it would suggest that they're still part of the business. That's my own reading of it. If they, if you're consulting with someone who is pregnant, the only sort of thing you have to be mindful of is the selection process. So if you're doing selection criteria marking their absences for pregnancy as one of the metrics would be discriminatory. The other thing to consider is if you're measuring performance, has that been a recent thing because of the pregnancy? Because one of the things I would think of is, was that performance, sorry, what has that individual's performance been like throughout the whole of their time here? So if the only time their performance is dipped is when they're pregnant and we start scoring people bad, but if they say, well, actually, I've been an exemplary employee for 15 years, and their file suggests so, then I think that could be quite tricky to try and prove that you didn't do something wrong. The other thing is, if you're doing an interview process, and actually this is for any role as well, this isn't just in terms of redundancy, but if you're doing an interview process, then not hiring them because they're pregnant or not being able to demonstrate that you didn't hire them because they were pregnant is also discriminatory. Now, I've not been in this situation, but I have actually had a senior role being advertised outside of a redundancy process that was offered to a pregnant lady. So we knew she was going to go on maternity, but actually she just was the right person in terms of behaviors and the skills to do the job, so we still offered it to her. So Someone who's on maternity, this is, again, outside of the topic of redundancy, but I think it's worth mentioning. If somebody is on maternity, they should still be able to apply for a role. They shouldn't have roles not being um, brought to their attention if it's suitable. Again, discriminatory. If the individual is on maternity, when you start a redundancy situation, then there is a requirement for the employer to source a job near to the job description. So that means if they're in a pool um, 
and their job is actually, say there's a pool of uh, 10 people and there's only five jobs, the expectation is is that they would actually secure one of those jobs or be offered one of those jobs. Um, this job should be in the same or local location. So um, I did have one in my previous workplace where we was disbanding in a team um, and redeploying that team across three different sites and automatically they had the choice of two. So I actually did put them in the consultation process purely because of the fact that I didn't want to dictate where they go to. And they actually went to ACAS thinking I was going to make them redundant. And ACAS actually came back to us and said, no, this individual should actually have the choice. Um, they they were going to anyway. We'd already factored that in. I guess um, they didn't quite understand when I said the reason you're in here is because actually we're applying the same process to give you the opportunity. Now, I didn't actually believe that the distance of these sites were actually reasonable. That was another reason why I put her in the process, so that if she wanted to exit, she would have obviously got her redundancy package. The other thing about the role is that it should be the same pay or, you know, minimum impact. So that's another thing to consider. So I always make sure that if we're consulting, um, that the maternity person is also made aware and that they are actually spoken to at each time. They have access to any... Um, representatives or anything like that uh, and they are fully con you know they get the same message and everything irrespective of whether or not there's a job there of course when you do the process itself and it's you know the reality is you don't know you might have different roles as well um, and they may wish to explore something different that is what i'm going to say on that So I just thought I'd cover statutory maternity. Now, there are different policies for maternity. So the first employer I worked for was 100% pay for nine months. Uh, so that was an enhanced maternity. Um, and I've heard of various different ones where they have a higher enhanced rate. Um, so maybe 14 weeks, 15 weeks. And there's all different variations. I think the best thing to do is touch on your actual company policy. But the most common one you're going to come across is statutory maternity, I guess. Um, I've seen that two times out of three. So statutory maternity is only eligible for those of who have been in service for 26 weeks or more. Um, so that's continuous service with the same employer. So for example, if you left, um, if you left and went to a new employer at week 23, as far as I'm aware, you wouldn't be entitled to statutory maternity. The next thing is that in order to unlock the pay, the MAP B1 has to be submitted at least, well, before week minus 15 of the due date. So uh, that basically means 15 weeks before the due date. Anything after that will remove your eligibility for statutory maternity. So statutory maternity is 39 weeks. Now, the other thing to be clear on, I said enhanced. Enhanced can also be considered as maternity extended to one year. Uh, it doesn't always necessarily reflect on pay. Yeah, so I just want to make that clear. It's not always related to pay. Nine times out of ten, enhanced maternity means it's been extended to 52 weeks. So, 39 weeks maternity, statutory. And you'll get six weeks and 90% pay. So, that's good stuff. And then 33 weeks of that paid at what the current statutory maternity rate is at the time of recording in January 2021, £151.20 or... 90% of your weekly salary. And this is 
based on whichever number is the lower. So uh, for most people, you're going to get 151. If you're part-time though, however, you could get less than that. Um, but I guess ultimately, you know, if you look at somebody earning 25k a year, reducing to 151 pounds a week is a significant drop as opposed to maybe someone who is earning um, less as a part-timer and potentially 90% might be £130 a week. So, you know, it, it varies. But at the end of the day, look, it's one of those things. Individuals have a choice to make, I guess, uh, when it comes to conception. So this pay kicks in when the maternity kicks in. So you can't have other payments. Um, so that means holiday entitlement cannot be used during the statutory maternity. As mentioned, maternity can be up to 52 weeks. Um, but the thing to be mindful of is that statutory maternity, you'll get no payment after 39 weeks. Um, so that really depends on the person's situation. Holes from the current year can be carried over. So, um, well, I say that, that depends on your company policy. But I've all the sort of awareness I have is... They'll try and make you use all of your holiday entitlement within that current year. But sometimes that might just actually not be feasible. Well, saying that, I don't know how that would be the case. But anyway, it depends on the situation really, doesn't it? Because if you have a baby, it's nine. Uh, if you have a baby and you go off on maternity, unless you're taking a full year, there's every possibility that you could end up within the same financial year. So you might want to use a holiday at the end as opposed to the beginning. The other thing to be mindful of, the kit days. So that's 10 days paid, and this can be used during a maternity. So that does give individuals the opportunity to get 10, I believe it's full paid days. I don't really know too much about it. I don't think my wife used her 10 kit days. I'm not too sure. Uh, that wasn't because we're rich. That's because she worked a hell of a long way from uh, her workplace. Uh, sorry, we live, we moved. Um quite a long way from her workplace so it wasn't practical for her to do kick days because we did not have home working in 2015. One of the things I would say is I do hear a lot of companies trying to move away from static stream attorney which is really cool. Um, I think that's something that should be there. Um, I've worked obviously being a HR professional I've worked with many female HR professionals and I have heard many times um, people saying that you know the reason they don't have a second child is because they just wouldn't be able to afford to go on maternity. Um, and that's quite sad when you think about the fact that, you know, people give such a dedicated service or long amount of service or whatever that somebody would have to think about a life choice like having a child because actually the potential repercussions of their financial situation makes them deterred from actually knocking out a second child um so it's good i think it's positive to hear those kind of things okay so the next thing to touch on is statutory paternity so um statutory paternity is basically again similar well the same um, eligibility unlock so that is must be employed for 26 weeks by the same employer at week minus 15 
of the due date of the baby. And again, the request must be submitted by week minus 15. Now, that doesn't mean you have to give the exact date, um, but the request for it should be there. You will have to prove that you are um, with the partner by having the map be one form. So um, it doesn't actually say the person's name on there, but they should have the map be one form of the partner. That's how you unlock it. So this is two weeks at 151.20, again, at the time of recording, in January 2021. This must be, well, you must give 28 days notice of the planned date. So, again, I mean, I don't know, actually. I'm thinking about mine. Um, my paternity was planned, but I do hear of people saying that they want to take their paternity to start from now. Um, so there is a, I can't even, this is really bad, considering that I have a child myself. There is a threshold, so it has to be taken within a certain time frame. But it can be taken any time within that frame. And I think, do you know what, should we just do, let's do it. This is the first time I'm doing it. I'm doing a Google search. Or a gov.uk paternity. Right, let's see. Where's next? Oh, it doesn't actually. That's weird. Huh? Right, so. Have to claim. Hmm. Ah, okay. So it must. So it cannot be before the birth. So that that matches, and it must end within fifty six days of the birth of the baby. You must give your employers twenty eight days notice if you want to change your start date. What happens if the baby's born? Anyway, whatever. Those are the, that's the numbers you need to know. So, yes, you must give your employees 28 days notice if you want to change your start date of paternity. It must end within the 56 days of the birth of the baby. But, leave cannot start before the birth. So I don't know how that 28-day thing came, because that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure I just notified the employer and did it. Anyway, that's what the rules say. Let's come out of that. I can see my screen again. So the next thing to talk about is shared parental leave. Now, I remember when this became a thing. It's really bad, I don't remember the year. But I do remember it being on the news and everything, and I remember all the kerfuffle, like everyone was on TV, you got guys coming up there like, shared parental leave. Um, so look, the first thing I'll say is, from a HR point of view, don't be scared, okay? It's basically the maternity entitlement so if we're going on the statutory maternity thing of 39 weeks, it's basically allowing the partner to take time away from that. That's it. That's all it is, bruv. Like, I don't know. I used to be so hype about it. Um, I remember the previous workplace I worked in, there was such a massive fuck-off policy about it. Like, pages, bruv. Um, but when I actually handled my first one, which is in my current employer, it was just basically 
them giving me 28 days notice in writing, so we have a form. And um, I guess the most difficult part was actually working out how much would be paid and what wouldn't be paid. But even then, that wasn't hard. Um, you take the partner's maternity. Now, the example I have was actually quite easy because the partner worked in the same workplace, so I had access to all that. So I imagine if you don't have access to that, that could be quite difficult. But I'd imagine you'd have the Map B1 and form... Uh, map B1 form anyway, so you'd have a rough idea. Um, I guess you'd ask for the proof of maternity from uh, the partner to say when they started it. And then there is a calculator online anyway, which you can use on gov.uk. But basically, um, you take the 39 weeks statutory maternity. You'd then look at um, the what has been used. So say, for example, um, 10 weeks of maternity has been used then that means they got 29 weeks available to them as paid shared parental leave if you're using statutory. Now, obviously, if you have a full pay entitlement, that's different. I don't know. But using that statutory method, it's not that hard. Um, and you'd literally just, it'd be the same as the maternity letter you'd issue. You'd outline when pay would stop. And I guess the thing is, is that, um, well, I don't know if statutory can be extended to a year, but I know that where I work, the entitlement is a year because that's the enhanced enhanced period of time not pay um so what we did in that instance was say right out of the 39 weeks uh, maternity has been used so i think it was 35 weeks maternity was used so that meant he could have four weeks paid and then using our 52 week allowance we took away um 39 which meant he had however many weeks left that was it we just outlined that the additional weeks are not paid. That's pretty much it. Um, now, we actually did this change during the maternity because um, the the person who had the baby wanted to return to work early. Um, so that's that's what happened. So, yeah, that was it. As, as easy as what I just explained to you. Um, now, maybe we're going to find out in the comments that I actually fucked up on this, like a whole lot of stuff that I missed, but... So I don't know, that's it. I used the calculator. The calculator confirmed everything that I did on gov.uk. So that is pretty much that. I can't really say anything more on that. I mean, um, I know I said, I mentioned that there was a really big policy, but I never read the policy. So, um, yeah. So the last thing to touch on is the return to work um, from maternity. So I think sometimes we don't appreciate how difficult it can be for someone to be away living a completely different lifestyle to what they were living um, prior to giving birth and then coming back into a workplace that, you know, for all you know, could be completely revamped, new systems, new ways of working, new management, new leadership, etc., etc., and I think these are all things that need to be considered. Um, I see, well, I'll be honest, I've had places where managers have taken over a business and not even bothered to contact the person who's on maternity. And, you know, person on maternity don't even know that they have a new manager, which I think is shocking. So me, myself, I always try to ensure that we be inclusive to those who are on maternity. So sending out things like newsletters, updates, just so that they're kept in a loop. Um, they don't have to read it. I don't put it as a thing of pressure or anything like that. 
it's just basically from a place of goodwill really um to to keep that engagement going so the first thing i try and say to all my managers is use the kit days encourage the kit days um i don't know why managers don't i mean it might just be where i am so i'm i'm, I'm more than happy to take that as a as a point on me but um yeah i always try to ensure that we use the kit days because i think those are really helpful so that is the way that we can you know um you know how how we can sort of suss things out so it's an opportunity to ask questions um in regards to you know how are they um, it's a chance to give them training. So if there are new systems and stuff like that, then we can give them that training as a as a um, sorry, I got distracted. I'm in a group chat and my brother just messaged me something. I'm gonna have to pause this here. Okay, I'm back. I sent I sent a controversial meme mem, however we say it, in a group chat, and it didn't go around too well uh it was in a family group chat and uh my brother was like are you the one in hr and then subsequently then told me that my cousin who um responded is also in hr and and said that i wasn't setting a good example but there we go that's a little bit of insight into how i operate i guess um so yeah i think what we need to think about is those kit days used for things like training um meeting people because you know there might be new teammates and stuff like that um and you want to be able to help them in bed and i think there's also the opportunity for them to um ask questions about things and you know get to you know doing a full shift if you like on the department as well um because there might be stuff that isn't new but they need to be refresher trained on as well um and it's also a chance to just review things like structure, if there's any structure changes and stuff like that. So I always enforce it. Oh, did I say enforce it? I don't enforce it. I always recommend that we do it. I think the other thing to think about is as well, it gives you the opportunity to sit down face-to-face -face with the individual or over the telephone if we're in COVID times um, to just see what they're thinking, really, what they're considering. Um so yeah now the one thing that i have seen come actually you know it's not fair to say a lot of the time i would say a percentage of the time maybe 30 40 percent of the time one of the things i see is a flexible working request come in uh, now if you listen to the previous episode which was about flexible working requests that covers all of that um, but i think look the, the main thing is review it fairly because um, i think there is this thing of oh, it's a, pregnant, it's a uh, person coming off maternity, so I must conform. That's not necessarily true. And the other part is, oh, this is a person coming off maternity who hasn't done fuck all for nine months, so actually I'm not going to do anything. Those are the two extremes, but, you know, the, these are real thought processes. So I always encourage managers to have a look. Again, if you listen to the previous episode, what we kind of look at. But it's about looking at the overall picture and it's about seeing if you can accommodate it. You know, I'm not, I'm not in a place of not exploring options and the other thing is like i mentioned previously uh employees will have their own idea of how things work and how things could work so you might have to prove someone wrong as well uh, and if you can't then 
Why are we not offering a trial? So I'm, you can probably tell I'm an advocate of uh, flexible working. I think it's the right thing to do if it works for everyone. And I think sometimes um, when sometimes when you've got individuals who are long service and things like that and have a really good skill that you don't necessarily want to lose, if there is somewhere you can flex, then I recommend that you try and do that. And remember that with a flexible working, you can always offer an alternative selection, uh, suggestion as well. doesn't mean you necessarily have to do what they asked. So that's what I would say. Try not to just be in the mindset of, oh, I must or no, I will not. Um, just try and be in there with open, open ears. So I've, I've always been advised that we shouldn't do this, but I do discuss childcare sort of arrangements with people uh not from a place of trying to prior anything but just um from a place of trying to understand what their situation is um i think you've already seen from my approach i'm not the, the sort to just kind of antagonize or something it's, it's not like that at all but sometimes i think it's a good idea to understand what sort of setup that they have so you might find, for example, that you've got individuals who have um, relatives or something that take care of them. Um, it might be someone has a childminder. And the reason I do this is, is because you don't know, potentially someone might have an issue uh, with their childcare. And if you understand what they have, so for example, if they have a relative that is looking after the child, a specific, um, specific sort of thing in terms of nursery or something like that then you know that if that's not available they might be really shafted in terms of getting cover for childcare. um the flip side of that is if they have a relative and something happens to the relative then you know are they going to be able to get a nursery in one hour no they're not so it just it's just from that point of view really um not necessarily for any other reason i just like to understand so that I can accommodate, well, not accommodate, but be more understanding of the situation that they're in. I think the yeah. other thing to think about is um, child-related appointments, so things like the jabs that babies have and stuff like that. Um, be mindful of that, and obviously there is a case of knowing that these are unpaid time for dependence. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, while the child is young, there may be instances where there may be a requirement for time off uh, because the child is ill. Maybe they can't go to nursery or whatever. You know, one of the things that always sort of stands out for me from my time when my little man was in um, nursery was the whole 48-hour rule uh, of childcare. So if your child has vomit or diarrhea, they can't go to childcare for 48 hours. Uh, well, they can't go back until they've been clear of the symptoms for 48 hours. So and I think that goes through school as well, to be fair. But it's just making sure that you understand the different sort of things that can happen. And I think the other thing to note is postnatal depression. Um, there are people who suffer with this quite badly. Um, and on the other side, I think this this can be a male thing too, uh, not necessarily postnatal. I don't know if that's the correct term for a male. But, you know, there can be stress, anxiety and things like that of having a new child. So... The pregnancy itself happening doesn't mean necessarily um, everything else is smooth. I think you have to be mindful of the 
the new lifestyle that people are going to have, um, the things they got to get used to, and it can take its toll. And I think it is about being supportive. As I was kind of said throughout the whole of this, this episode. Um, the thing about the return to work is you want your person to come back, be engaged, be happy in the joke, uh, in the job, in the joke, in the job. Um, and you want them to be able to perform as soon as reasonably possible. And if you make that environment hard for someone, that's not going to happen. And at the end of the day, you know, um, how many people have kids and how many people go back to their jobs, etc. So sometimes I feel like as managers, um, people forget that, you know, people have lives and pregnancy is usually one of the sort of moments where you realize how good or how ungood a manager is. That's what I personally think. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's always, it's always worth bearing that in mind, always trying to encourage it, you know, get, um, you know, get, get the engagement going. I think the other thing is as well that whilst you're being in a supportive mindset and you support maternity, um, this also helps with retention. Uh, so the previous company I worked for, it was considered that maternity was a sin. Um, so you don't, um, you don't necessarily want that on your record because that will deter females, younger females or females who are potentially at a stage of wanting to plan a family, uh, from coming to you. And that does mean that you lose talent, um, not just from a HR point of view, I think operationally as well, there's some really good female leaders out there. And those kind of things are the kind of things that make it to glass doors. You'd be surprised. Um, so just be mindful of that, the brand image, when you're handling a maternity situation. So look, that's pretty much it. Um, we've got to 54 minutes, which I'm quite surprised. I didn't think I had that much to talk about on this. So hopefully you've learned something. Uh, and if you're able to educate me further, please do. Like I say, I've had very varied and limited experience of this, even if I have had a child myself. Um, but yeah, look, hopefully you got something out of it. Again, as usual, if there's anything you want to comment on, anything you want to correct me on, please leave a comment. You know, I'm still waiting for one comment. Although I'm saying that and season two is the kind of controversial one where I'm giving my own opinion and none of the episodes have been released at the time of recording this. This is episode three, but none has been released. So anyway. Look, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it and uh, catch you on the next one.